1: Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. I am your host Graham Hall joined by my co-host Jacob Rudner and it has been less than what 12 hours since we left the press box from Florida's upset victory of the Tennessee Volunteers. The Gators secured a 29 to 16 victory over their SEC Eastern Division rival. It was a loud roaring crazy contest Jacob And we're going to just jump right into it. From a Tennessee offense perspective, just what stood out to you? What surprised you? And, I mean, Florida's defense, the game plan they they had for them, how critical in your mind was that in this contest?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say is I I will reiterate that, you know, this is more of our uh, rapid reaction, you know, kind of knee-jerk thoughts to the game. And we'll have another podcast on Tuesday uh, where we kind of break things down in a little bit more detail after we, we've watched it a couple times. But I would say in the immediate aftermath, and again, like you said, we're, we're less than 24 hours removed from the game. Uh, I think that my impression of Tennessee's offense is that it, it was way worse than I expected it to be. Um, they looked disjointed frequently throughout the contest. Uh, a lot of procedural penalties that shot it in the foot throughout the game, uh, some missed throws, some poor decisions. Their run game never really got going, which we knew going into the contest was going to be a key, just based on the way that they had performed previously. Uh, but, you know, the credit to me goes to Florida. It's not so much, in my opinion, that Tennessee was, was worse than expected. I think that Florida's defense delivered. I, I, I have been impressed uh, through three games with how Austin Armstrong uh, has called plays. I love how aggressive Florida can be. Uh, I think that they do a really good job of, you know, bringing in varied pressures Uh, from different parts of the field and and putting that on the quarterback. And you combine that with, you know, the noise in the swamp uh, during that game. And I think that it was just too much pressure for, for Tennessee to overcome.
1: And we saw the result of that. Yeah. We've talked about for a long time, Uh, you know, and Florida fans attest to this and say regularly that the swamp is one of the most daunting environments to play in just how loud it can get for the opponent. And I think some people You know, they they hear that, but maybe they don't fully understand what it means and how it can disrupt an opposing offense. But when you're watching an offense like Tennessee's, uh, and we've seen this in the past with teams like LSU, Auburn, you know, you name it, teams that have come in here, Missouri, have struggled with running this up-tempo, fast-paced offense where they can't adjust to, you know, a correct defensive play call. When you have the correct defensive play call – in there that makes it so that the opposition has to audible and point out things at the line of scrimmage. They can't just do that uh, with with um, a normal call. They have to go to individually along the line and, and make that adjustment. And that is something that the noise can absolutely play a part in. It can slow down the uh, opposing team that's in the swamp. And I think you saw that come to life uh, on Saturday night, you know, it is a tangible thing. You know, sometimes people can scoff when a head coach comes out and and thanks the fans right away after this this back-and-forth contest that came down to some critical plays or some great coaching, whatever they could attribute it to. But to attribute it to the fans, I think sometimes people can laugh at that. But actually, in a game like this in the Swamp, facing a team like Tennessee, it absolutely is a factor. And you saw Billy Napier note that. You saw... Scooby Williams, who had another really good game for Florida, note that as well. Um, It was absolutely a factor in mind. I, I, I think you saw it disrupt Tennessee's offense throughout the night and the ability to stifle the run. This was a really, really good backfield coming into this game. Their rushing statistics were good. They were considered to have the better backfield. And maybe this is a good segue for Florida's offense here, but the Gators were able to establish the run. They were able to get to the next level, break tackles, uh, I, I think you saw the patience of Trevor ETN and Montreal Johnson consistently on the night. And they were even able to get Trey Webb in the game at times. And this was a unit that and led by ETN was able to establish the run and uh, do some things that I think that many people were doubting the Gators were able to do. Yes, they were able to establish the run against McNeese, but we hadn't seen that ground game come to life uh, in that season opener at Utah and to see it go, you know, oh, I mean, in full force against a Tennessee defense that statistically was coming into the swamp, uh, considered to be one of the better units, a much improved unit certainly up there in Knoxville, I think just absolutely is a promising sign for the Gators. It's a signal that they do have a potent ground game, which certainly was a question mark through two games this season.
0: Well, oh, there's no question about that. And, you know, before I you know, talk about Florida's run game, I think uh, to your earlier point, if, if there are fans who believe uh, that, you know, Billy Napier's thank you to the crowd last night was, you know, disingenuous coach speak, uh, I, I would completely disagree with you. I think if you watched last night's game, it was abundantly clear uh, how much the fans impacted the outcome of the contest. Tennessee had 10 penalties for 79 yards last night. And a large percentage of those were procedural penalties that had something to do with, you know, not being able to hear each other. Like you mentioned, communication was very difficult. Uh, and, and, you know, that, those things start to add up. And so I would say that, you know, first of all, absolutely, the, the, the whole 12th man, you know, we had an extra player because of the fans and the way that they impacted. 100%, I, I really do believe that that was, you know, a real thing last night and it was tangible uh, if you were there. As for Florida's run game, yes, it was that last night they did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, You and I had said last week that if Florida was able to establish the run against a defense that ranked second in the SEC last year and yards allowed per game uh, and yards per rush, you know, if they were able to establish the run, we knew that it was going to be at minimum a very tight game. Uh, and, And then the second note that we had was how the run game was going to influence how Florida would be able to move the ball via the pass. And so we saw great balance throughout the game last night. Florida kept itself, you know, active and successful on the ground, which forced Tennessee to respect that part of the game. They had to keep players in the box in order to defend against Florida's offensive line and running backs who were all very effective in the rushing attack. But, you know, more importantly, I think, we saw that open things up in the passing game and it allowed Graham Mertz to be extremely successful, mostly in the first half, but that was enough. And and I've seen a lot of fans, you know, the day after complaining you know, we weren't aggressive enough in the second half or the play calling wasn't good enough in the second half. And I would agree with you. And and even Billy Napier said that he would agree with that, you know, that he needed to be more aggressive, but in my opinion, uh, you know, Florida did enough and, and you don't really need to, you don't need more than that. There's not much more to ask for. Uh, It it was a sufficient, you know, dominant performance. They performed well when they needed to. Uh, A lot of credit goes to the run game for how it opened up the rest of the offense. And, and, you know, the score is the score. So, you know, the Gators won 29-16 no matter how they looked in the second half. Uh, I was impressed with the win, and I was very impressed uh, with the offensive balance that we saw from Florida last night, which I really don't feel like we've seen, at least to that degree, uh, in a previous game in the Billy Napier era. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else?
1: Yeah, I think there were a lot of people that rightfully thought that when Tennessee opened the game and goes up 7-0, even after Florida answers that with a touchdown of their own, the special teams miscues that we have seen before, I think that that was absolutely something that could have been a factor in this contest. You know, Florida left, what, five points on the board in the first half, and the willingness to make an in-game change from Adam Mahalik, who napier insisted that the gators still have a lot of confidence in but to go to trace smack in the middle of the game and to have him convert and, and hit that chip yard feel you know short field goal at the end of the game that proved so critical I, I think was absolutely a potential turning point for this special teams unit if they move forward with smack there and, and let the underclassmen show what he's capable of i thought that was absolutely something of note that stood out to me but i also want to get just your thoughts on graham mertz's performance you know I know that the downfield passing game still remains a question mark, but just his ability to make throws when it counted, extend drives, allow Florida to command um, possession. You know, that 12 play drive that took up seven and a half minutes there early, that limits Tennessee's ability to be on the field and score. And when you can cause turnovers and capitalize on your drives, I've mentioned in the clock change rule era that, you have to capitalize on possessions right now and especially in the first half because your mistakes can become, I think, more detrimental, consequential in the second half. If you are especially down like Tennessee was, you know, they, they were rallying, but Florida had the benefit of an, a three-score lead at a time where they were able to be, like you said, a little bit more conservative and benefit from having that early advantage where they didn't have to, I think, you know, while definitely you could see it as conservative, they took less risks in a sense that would have allowed Tennessee to come back in the game there. They continued, um, you know, trying to establish the run, even if it led to three and outs because the defense was playing so well. So that absolutely, I think, was a factor in the contest that may have led to some of those play-calling decisions. But like I said, as for Graham Mertz, the guy continues to make some great throws when it counts. He's limited the turnovers that many people, I think, assumed – would be an issue when he arrived in Gainesville. And, you know, I think you and I were talking about this in, you know after the game. This was a guy that looks poised at getting out of the pocket. He can make guys miss with his legs now. He can extend drives. He's smart. He knows where, you know, the first down marker is. You see him, you know, on the run extending the football uh, to pick up extra yards. And he's looks tough. I mean, he's taken some shots and has gotten right back up. And I would be a little bit surprised if Florida doesn't look to allow this guy to get out of the pocket a little bit more, just knowing what kind of threat that can pose uh, for the Gators.
0: Well, no doubt. And I think that this is the, uh, this is the part of the show where I'm supposed to eat the crow a little bit. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the reason where I, the, the reason why I picked Tennessee to win the game in our previous podcast, if you listened to the show, you heard me pick Tennessee, uh, you know, I had doubts about how well Florida would be able to maneuver offensively via the pass. Uh, we had known, and we have known, you know, dating way back into last season, uh, Florida can run the ball. And, and, and we've seen it time and time again. Did it happen against Utah? No. But as you know, Trevor Etienne even pointed out last night, Florida's running backs didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity to get things going in that game anyway. They, they had very limited touches. And so it's kind of a poor example uh, here in this game, they faced what we thought was a very good run defense. And they looked fantastic. Uh, and so the question, you know, therein lied, how will Florida be able to operate in the air? Uh, will it be able to hit on those downfield passes? Can it be more explosive? Which, again, like I said on our previous show, was not something that uh, I thought they needed to do better. It was something that Billy Napier came out and said earlier in the week, we need to be more explosive uh, in our passing game. And it was true. Uh, I wondered whether or not Florida would be able to do that against what I thought was going to be a quality opponent in its run defense and in its pass pro, uh, pass rush. Excuse me. Uh, Florida found the balance, in my opinion, in its passing game, not necessarily with being quote-unquote explosive. An explosive play in passing would be defined as something 15 or more yards. Florida only had two of those last night. Both of them were 18-yard gains, one of them for a touchdown. So, you know, they, they were not explosive over the top. What they did do really well, and this is the difference, I think, is Billy Napier mixed in a lot more passes to the perimeter to stretch the field laterally as opposed to vertically. And I think that that allowed Florida to be a lot more well-rounded in its approach in that you remove players from the box when you force them to spread out across the field. If you attack them laterally into the sidelines, defenses have to account for that. And when they do, you have the room to run the ball the way that Florida did last night. So uh, to me, not only was this Florida's best executed game in terms of its offensive game plan, even though that didn't include a lot of downfield passing. It was also Billy Napier's best game as a play caller. I think that, you know, we can say what we will about the second half and and Billy Napier even said, you know, I need to be more aggressive and that's on me. Uh, And and I'm not questioning that at all. I would agree with that assessment, you know, that he gave in the immediate aftermath of the game. Uh, That being said, the first half impressed me for sure. Uh, And it's something that will have to be a, a, you know, a consideration as we go further into the season. I think that, uh, you know, in addition to really showing what he's capable of, he also kind of set the standard uh, against Tennessee. This is the baseline, I think. Uh, Florida needs to now, you know, maintain that and and prove that this is not a one-off thing, or that maybe Tennessee's you know lack of quality uh, influenced the outcome of this game, you know, quite largely. Florida will need to repeat these types of performances, and so uh, I will be curious as we move into the next couple of weeks. You know, Charlotte coming into you know Gainesville next week, Kentucky on the road after that homecoming against Vanderbilt after that, those are all opportunities to continue to prove uh, that this, this, this is no fluke. Uh, and, and that's what I'll be watching for as we move forward. But again, uh, eating my crow, I was wrong. Uh, Florida definitely was was more effective in its passing attack. Uh, Graham Mertz was spectacular. I thought that he made great decisions. It was very effective on third down, and that's all you can ask for from him. Uh, and, and again, if Florida can keep that up, it, it'll be a different season than I thought it would be. That 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 is the analysis and my immediate takeaway from the game, for sure.
1: Well, we're not going to get them all right. I'm definitely going to be wrong. Probably in the not so distant future. That is just how it works. That's why we watch the games. Um, if they were so easy to predict, there'd be no reason to watch them because this was one that absolutely, I think, was a riveting one. It was an unexpected one in many ways. Jacob was far from alone from being, uh, you know, picking against the Gators. There was even Tim Tebow out there on Saturday morning picking against the Gators. We've seen program legends kevin carter picked florida to lose at utah and that was a correct prediction so it happens it's going to keep happening we're going to keep bringing our predictions week to week to you over at swamp247.com make sure you check them out we got a ton more tennessee content coming as well we'll be back later this week with another episode of the swamp 247 podcast where we'll talk more in depth about Florida's win over Tennessee, as well as talk a little bit about uh, the road to come, this upcoming Charlotte matchup a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, this is this was a big one for the Florida program. Um, I think a lot more optimism now than there was uh, 17 days ago, right, when the Gators came back from Salt Lake City and had a lot to reassess. And Billy Napier spoke of the improvement process in those 17 days being what led to Florida winning the game on saturday night and that improvement process i think a lot of people can agree is gonna be what determines what florida's road ahead looks like so this has been another episode of the swamp 247 podcast this has been a rapid reaction of florida's 29 to 16 win over tennessee we'll be back i'm your host graham hall joined by my co-host jacob runner take care we'll see you later